Beloved, please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, as we continue our study in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew, chapter 6, this evening we'll be uh, focusing in on verse 11 uh, and and looking at God's daily provision. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We are going to start, as we have been doing, uh, back in uh, verse 5, chapter 6 and verse 5, and the following is... All of this really holds together and reminds us of some important principles of prayer as we continue our study of the Lord's Prayer. Please hear the word of God. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Would you pray with me? A loving Father, as we come once again to your word, we pray that you would instruct us, that you would rebuke us and correct us and train us and encourage us and comfort us as we hear your word preached and as we look to Christ for grace and forgiveness and and direction and leading. We thank you that in a world so full of chaos and murder and anxiety, depression, that there is a God who loves us, the one true God, who sent his son into the world to die for us, to be the bread of life for perishing souls. We thank you that in him we are saved, and we ask that you would help us, O Lord, and teach us how to pray. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Well, we come to our sixth uh, sermon uh, in this series on the Lord's Prayer, and we have already uh, learned so much uh, from our Lord's Prayer. It, uh, once again, is a, a skeleton um, uh, whereby we put flesh on. Uh, this prayer is not meant to merely be recited uh, or repeated uh, mindlessly and in a rote way. Uh, this prayer is to instruct us on Uh, basic important principles about how we should pray and what we should pray. Uh, It begins with the words, Our Father. I put uh, an old article from Table Talk in the bulletin uh, this week to remind us that the way we pray actually reinforces the gospel itself. When we pray Our Father, we're saying something because only those who pray, the only people who are allowed to pray our Father, 
um, or who can legitimately pray our Father are those who know Christ by grace through faith and have been reconciled to God, who they now can call Father, Abba Father. And so the very words, our Father, it reinforces the gospel to us because God is not our Father unless Christ is our Savior and unless the Spirit indwells us, the Spirit that within us cries out, Abba, Father. It's a Trinitarian work. So you see how there's so much, even to the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. This is not a God or some regional God. This is the God of heaven. This is the one true and living God that we pray to, our Father who is in heaven. And it's our Father. It's a a corporate prayer. We are to think about our Christian lives not merely as a kind of individualistic cobbling together of our own spirituality, but as a corporate community growing together uh, in uh, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are one body with many members. Uh, Hallowed be your name. Uh, We are to hallow the name of God, to reverence his name. And we pray that his name would be reverenced, not just in our own hearts, but in the hearts of those around us and everywhere around the world. Uh, Verse 10, your kingdom come. Uh, We learned here very briefly that uh, when we pray your kingdom come, we are saying, oh Lord, uh, may your kingdom uh, spread throughout the earth and may your ultimate kingdom come. May Christ come back and establish his kingdom uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. And so not only is this a kind of a mission-minded prayer, but also a prayer for the return of Christ and the establishing of his kingdom. We're, we're having a, a kind of heavenly-mindedness. Uh, uh, we are spiritually-minded when we are praying prayers like this. That's the point. You, you wonder what a prayer would look like if, if God, you know, you've heard of this new AI, of course. It's all the rage. It's all the news. It's, everybody was talking about AI, right? It, it's the kind of grabbing information from all these different places and bringing it together Uh, in order to give you what you ask for. Um, I heard something kind of scary a few weeks ago that uh, two of our members, uh, uh, they asked AI, write a sermon on this particular passage using Gabe Williams and John Payne from Between the Times as the authors, and it brought together this sermon, and it sounded like Gabe and I having a conversation on Between the Times. I, I never saw it. The whole AI thing kind of scares me, honestly, um, and uh, it's a very interesting uh, thing that is, has emerged in, in technology, uh, perhaps a dangerous thing, but I wonder if God were to take Um, Or if AI were to take all of our prayers from this past year that we have prayed personally and and, and brought them together to make a prayer that would be a kind of model prayer, what would it be constituted of? Would it be earthly-minded or spiritually-minded? Would it be mainly focused on the temporal things or on spiritual things? Things. I think it's a fair uh, thing to, to consider as we think about even what Christ puts as the priority in this prayer. We'll look at this again in just a minute. He then says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
your will be done. This is speaking of the revealed will of God that we ourselves would want to do what God says in his word. So this is true for our own hearts, also in the hearts of those around us. Lord, may your will be done. May your word, may your revealed will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven where the angels and departed saints perfectly obey the Lord. So we come to the section now in verse 11, this, this fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. God provides our daily bread. That's, that's the point. It's a lesson that the Israelites learned when they were in the desert and were grumbling about their present condition. You remember God freed the Israelites from bondage and slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt and uh, they were brought out through the Red Sea and brought out into the wilderness, and then they began grumbling and complaining. Many of them even wanted to go back uh, to, to Egypt, where, though under bondage and slavery to Pharaoh and surrounded by false gods, they at least knew that they had regular and predictable mealtimes. Uh, how often is it that our stomachs actually uh, lead our lives uh, and, and cause such dissatisfaction and discontentment and grumbling. How did God respond uh, to their grumbling? Well, he provided bread from heaven. He provided bread from heaven. He provided bread from heaven, a sweet bread called what? Manna. The people of God would learn to be dependent upon uh, God for, their, for every meal. And later, when mealtimes once again became predictable, it was still God who provided their every meal. Whether we are wondering where our next meal would come from or whether the meals for the next five days are in the, in the, in the freezer or in the cupboards, God provides all of it, always. Well, this evening, again, we come to this fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Our dependence upon the Lord is daily. It's daily. It's a petition that expresses, among other things, a complete dependence upon God for all of our daily needs. Beloved, it's a prayer of holy reliance upon the blessed triune God. It's a prayer of supplication to God that He would indeed provide all that we need for life, and sustenance in the temporal realm. Every good gift that we receive is ultimately from God, the Father of lights. But interestingly, this petition for our daily provision is not the first one in the Lord's Prayer. This is not the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. In other words, it's not the priority of this prayer. Indeed, it's the fourth petition, not not the first. In his classic work on the Lord's Prayer, 17th century Puritan Thomas Watson, he highlights the fact in the, in the opening section of his very, very, very long chapter on this petition, he, he, he highlights the fact that hallowing God's name, praying for God's kingdom to come, and carrying out God's will take priority over earthly, bodily needs. This is 
an important point to raise when considering this fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. Watson writes this, quote, We are to prefer God's glory to our nearest concerns. But before we prefer God's glory to our private concerns, we must be born again. The natural man seeks his own secular interests before God's glory, end quote. In other words, the regenerate man views life through the lenses of God's word. And his or her prayers reflect this. But the unconverted man's prayer will almost always focus on temporal needs because that's all he thinks about. And so for the secular man, the non-religious man, the the atheist, uh, the agnostic who, for instance, uh, uh, is in, in, in battle and, um, and bullets start flying. Their only prayer is, Lord, help me, save me from getting killed. It's, it's the natural prayer of the natural man, devoid of spiritual things. You see, the... The unregenerate man is not a spiritual man. He doesn't think about spiritual things. He only thinks about earthly needs and comforts. He only thinks about this world. This this kind of man who is unregenerate, he is only praying when things go really, really bad or are getting bad somehow. He's a man of the world headed for destruction. And dear ones, this should make us stop and think for a moment about what constitutes our prayers. Are our prayers devoid of spiritual emphases? Please hear this. This is very important as it concerns our discipleship, as it concerns the condition of our souls. And and, and you could say the maturity levels of our discipleship. Are our prayers devoid of spiritual emphases? If we pray for three or four minutes with someone... Does it even touch upon the things that ought to be the priority in our lives as Christian believers? Or is it all about heal this person, heal that person, help this person, help that person? Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Amen. The prayer, while not sinful and while not unhelpful, God certainly hears those prayers. Are they devoid of spiritual emphases? Are they almost entirely focused on this world priorities, on that which is temporal, fading? Do we pray for the reverencing of God's name in our hearts and the coming kingdom throughout the nations through the Great Commission and eventually through the return of Christ? Do we pray these kinds of prayers? Christ is instructing us to pray these kinds of prayers in the Lord's Prayer. Do we pray that God's will would be done in our lives and in the lives of those around us? That God's will will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. That's that's the point that Watson is making, which is a, a really helpful point. Look at the priorities that come prior to give us this day our daily bread. 
At the end of Matthew 6, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'm afraid that it's all these things that take priority in our prayers, rather than prayers that are seeking first the kingdom of God. Even even praying these prayers knowing that seeking first the kingdom of God and praying big kingdom prayers might often make us or might perhaps make us uncomfortable in this world. Are we willing to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if it means that your will be done means that we stand up to those who would persecute us? That we would put ourselves in, in, in jeopardy because of our Christian convictions? These are the kinds of things that uh, we must ask ourselves. Do our prayers reflect the priority of the Lord's Prayer? Are we praying big kingdom prayers, or are they primarily of the nature of small, earthly-minded, selfish-type prayers? Question 184 of the larger catechism asks this, For what things are we to pray? Answer, we are to pray for all things tending to the glory of God. The welfare of the church. Our own or others' good, but not for anything that is unlawful. And so, for what things are we to pray? Things that tend to the glory of God. And and, and hallowing God's name and the coming of the kingdom and his will be done on earth as is heaven, this gives glory to God. This is, these are big kingdom prayers and prayers for the welfare of the church. So do you hear the ranking of concern here in the Lord's Prayer? Our prayers reveal a lot about our priorities. And as I, as I preach this evening, I think about my own my own lack of faithfulness and and praying as I ought, spending the time that I ought in my personal life and as a pastor praying and making true kingdom-minded prayers. Is my heart sparked to pray more when there's some issue that arises in my own life than praying those bold and, and passionate kingdom prayers, big prayers for the lost, for our community, for friends, for neighbors, Well, the position of this petition after the first three reminds us of our priorities. This petition also reminds us of our weakness, of our neediness, that is, our need for God's daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Of course, in an agrarian society, uh, pre-industrial revolution, which is what most of world history has been, and uh, who would have thought that we'd be in a day where we were talking about, you know, computers taking over the world and killing all of us, you know? I mean, (laughs) this is like space-age stuff, the stuff that 30 years ago we saw on on movies and thought, "Uh, it's just weird, that'll never happen, and it's happening. But an agrarian society is going to be reliant upon 
the weather, upon the soil, upon the sunshine. And so these prayers, they, they, they have more meaning in a way, though they shouldn't, but they do, to those who lived in a society that was agrarian, whereas we live in homes with cupboards and refrigerators filled with food. And so it's kind of a hard concept for us to have, like give us this day our daily bread. But we must recognize that whether we are impoverished with empty cupboards or blessed with pantries and refrigerators full of food, we are totally and completely dependent upon the Lord. Amen? Always, by praying this prayer, we acknowledge this reality. And so we make this prayer and prayers like this a part of our prayer life. We give thanks and we pray for God's provision. One of the clearest passages in all of Scripture on God's sovereign provision for all living things is found in Psalm 104. Please turn there with me. Psalm 104. Now, of course, uh, God uses secondary causes um, to bring about his, his will on earth and to provide for our needs. Um, but here in Psalm 104, we see uh, language that reminds us that ultimately it's God who is doing all of those things and providing for all living creatures. It's one of the most wonderful psalms uh, in the Psalter. Psalm 104, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of the chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messenger winds, his ministers, a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your, loft, from your lofty abode, you water the mountains. Who waters the mountains? God does. And he provides for these animals. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You, now look at this one. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock. Think about that next time you go by a pasture and you see cows eating the grass. God causes the grass to grow. What do you mean? I thought it was photosynthesis and the sun and the sun. Yes, but above it all, superintending all of nature and creation is God. That's why it's blasphemous the way that people speak about Mother Nature and this whole uh, massive religion really is what it is of uh, the climate movement. It is God Almighty who is over it all. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. God provides the, 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 the bread. God provides the wine. 
The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he, that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the field creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Does this sound like a sovereign God? Does this sound like a God who is working out and in and through all things to his glory? Yes, it is. He is a God that not only grows the grass, but predestines his people from the foundation of the world in love to be his own. Verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Remember this psalm, beloved, Psalm 104, as the psalm that reminds us that it is God who provides for all living creatures as from his very own hand. Give us this day our daily bread. It's an acknowledgement that the Lord provides all that we have and all that we need in his classic work on the Lord's Prayer, Herman Witsius, the 17th century Dutch Reformed theologian, he reminds us that this fourth petition is, quote, a confession of our poverty, which requires every day fresh materials for our support and bids us depend continually on God who supplies us with food day to day. It reminds us to abstain from anxious and unbelieving care. We trust God. We depend upon God for our daily bread. Interestingly, as you look back at Matthew uh, chapter 6 and what is the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see in verse 25 of chapter 6 this well-known section on not being anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. If God is providing for the lilies of the field, if he is doing these things, how much more does he care about you? Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. For the Lord knows you need these things. Your Heavenly Father knows 
verse 32, that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Give us this day our daily bread. Question 193 of the larger catechism asks, what do we pray for in the fourth petition? In the fourth petition, which is to give us this day our daily bread, acknowledging that in Adam and by our own sin, we have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life and deserve to be wholly deprived of them by God and to have them cursed to us in the use of them. In other words, in our natural state, in our natural condition in Adam, we do not deserve all of these blessings. Remember, uh, it says that God uh, shows grace, uh, common grace, to the wicked and to the good by the sun shining and the rain coming down. Those who are rebelling against and blaspheming God at this very moment are enjoying a beautiful day in Mount Pleasant. That's God's blessing. And they don't deserve it, and we don't deserve it either. And this reminds us of this. And that neither they of themselves are able to sustain us, nor we to merit, or by our own industry to procure them. But prone to desire, get and use them unlawfully. This is the nature of our hearts. We pray for ourselves and others that both they and we waiting upon the providence of God from day to day in the use of lawful means, work, lawful work, may of his free gift and as to his fatherly wisdom shall seem best, enjoy a competent portion of them, his gifts of provision, and have the same continued and blessed unto us in our holy and comfortable use of them and contentment in them, being content with what we have, and be kept from all things that are contrary to our temporal support and comfort. This is, this is what the larger catechism says about this fourth petition. That we would recognize that he provides all of our needs. That we do not deserve anything that he gives to us. It's all of grace. And that we be content with what he has given to us. Not always easy to be content in an affluent area. And so give us this day our daily bread reminds us that that is all that we really need temporally is our daily bread. We don't need all the other comforts, but God gives them to us, and so we give him thanks. Beloved, earlier we read in God's providence from Exodus 25, and there the... The furniture was being, um, uh, the, the, the way the furniture was to be fashioned was being communicated to Moses so that it could be placed in the temple. And on the table will be the bread. And that bread would ultimately anticipate and point forward to Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. The manna that came from heaven represents, of course, Christ as the bread of, of, of heaven, John chapter 6. The bread that came from heaven and your forefathers ate, he said, died. But those who eat the bread of life will live forever. And so as we come to the Lord's table, as we think about this, this petition, give us this day our daily bread, we, we want to be reliant upon God and to, to recognize 
that he provides all of our needs and be thankful to him. But even as our thoughts are raised to something even greater than the temporal daily bread that God provides for us, God has provided for us everlasting bread, the bread from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who handed the bread to his disciples on the night he was betrayed and said, take ye, this is my body given for you, eat of it all of you, in remembrance of me. Whoever, Jesus says, does not eat my body um, and drink my blood has no place in me. And so we come to this table, raising our thoughts, raising our hearts, our faith, recognizing that while we pray, give us this day our daily bread for temporal provisions and recognize all that God gives to us, he gives us something so much greater so that even if there is a time where temporal bread is denied to us, we know that we are in Christ, who is the bread of life. We feed upon him. We live in him. We are nourished upon him spiritually and yet really unto everlasting life. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. We thank you for the provision you provide for us here on this earth. And Lord, we are so, so incredibly blessed. Forgive us, O God, for our lack of contentment at times. You've given us so much and our hearts are not thankful enough. But we thank you even more, O Lord, for that which you've given to us in Christ. For to have Christ and to have nothing in this world is truly to have all things. And to have all things and not to have Christ is to have nothing. For one day, all these things will pass away and we will stand before you. And we give you praise, Lord, that you provide all of our needs, mostly our spiritual needs. And we thank you for this table, which reminds us every Lord's Day that Christ died for us, that he went into the grave and he rose again on the third day. And we put our hope and our trust in him.